0: I was in my library this morning and a book fell on my head. I only had my shelf to blame.
1: Uh, welcome back, everyone. I've got uh, Graham with me uh, once again. It's been a while, Graham.
0: It has been a while. Thanks for inviting yeah. me back.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, you, you've done a good job so far. So we'll keep uh, keep having you back on the show. Um, got some feedback. Uh, I must admit, it was a few months ago now that maybe we should um, just have a little bit of uh, general discussion about what's been going on in the world before we launch into a detailed sort of academic type discussion. What's been going on in your world, well, Graham?
0: F- from a Australian and New Zealand perspective we've just uh, had Anzac Day that's which, true which is an interesting did
1: you um, stand out in the driveway we we
0: did it was yeah. um, really quite nice it was uh, touching we saw more neighbours than we usually see at one time uh, yeah. holding candles drizzling rain um,
1: yeah I got, I got a little bit wet as well I, I can hear someone a couple hundred metres away playing the last post I don't know whether they were playing on a stereo or whether they had a, had their own musical instrument I think they were playing it through a stereo because it sounded pretty good quality.
0: Yeah, the lady two doors down has got a beautiful singing voice for the Australian National Anthem.
1: Right, mm. yeah. When I was at university, one of my flatmates had, um, yeah, he had a trombone. He used to play the trombone um, and he was very good at um, playing the last post every year. He used to go out on the balcony in Dunedin <laughs> and play the last post across the across the valley. It was quite, it was quite entertaining.
0: Did you live in one of those houses um, with a name?
1: Uh, I did, but I can't even really remember them now. They were, they were all over 100 years old and they had no insulation, so... In the middle of winter there, you had to sit inside a sleeping bag to stay warm.
0: Mm. Dunedin's a beautiful city.
1: (coughs) Yeah, it just needs to move about 2,000 kilometres north. Yes. So you're probably, you know, the same sort of um, latitude. Is it latitude? Or longitude? I always get confused. Anyway, same. It's
0: latitude. Yeah, yeah, latitude.
1: (laughs) It's a bit bit too far south. I think it's sort of similar to uh, Hobart and those sorts of, for for, um, Australian listeners. Mm. So it's pretty cold in winter. And even in summer, it's not that warm. I remember walking down the street one year and uh, it was 28, 29 degrees because um, I'd stayed there over summer to do, because uh, I had a job to earn some money. And um, there was a local walking down the street and he still had his jeans and his black jumper on and he was sweating like a pig. <laughs> and, but his, it, was cult, uh, culturally, it was against his culture to take off his jumper, so he looked like he was going to pass out. <laughs> and it was only about 28 degrees. <laughs> I was just thinking, mate, you've obviously never worn a t shirt, you know, never walked around with just a t shirt on before. Well, I don't think he's ever worn he ever worn shorts in his life, so <coughs> all right, enough enough reminiscing. There's also oh, a, of course it's a uh,
0: hundred days into a um a viral pandemic. Yes, it's yeah, had a, a pandemic. major impact upon uh, life as we know it on planet Earth. Yep. For humans.
1: That's exactly right. And um we're at the stage now, for people who listen to this um, in the f- sometime in the future, we're at the stage now where we're sort of at a point where there's very few new cases being diagnosed. Uh, there's only been like, you know, one or zero cases each day for the last sort of week or two.
0: Mm, that's um, in the in the
1: uh, city where we live? or the Yeah, in, in uh, Western Australia, mm. I think, yeah. Um, so we, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but, you know, the rest of the world's struggling at the moment, um, Europe and North America, mm. yeah. Um, anyway, this week we're not going to talk about anything to do with any virus, are we? No, well, not that we know of. Um, so I thought we'd start this uh, discussion by leading in with a, um, um, a generic sort of presentation. So imagine, um, Graham, you're no longer a consultant anesthetist. You're back in the day, you were working as a GP or maybe just a junior doctor in, in an emergency department or maybe a MAFEL in a women's hospital you have a 28-year-old female who's G2P1 at 32 weeks and she comes in to, to be assessed because she says she's been feeling unwell for quite a few days. She's got a headache, she's in a, got a bit of anorexia, nausea and vomiting and a bit of discomfort in her upper abdomen. So what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, so I think any woman who uh, presents, <coughs> who is uh, symptomatic during pregnancy needs to have uh, a standard thorough assessment that involves a history examination investigations uh, the, the i mean it's it's hard to go through a- actual elements yep. of the history but um you know I, I, nowadays working in an obstetric setting I'm always concerned about patients presenting with conditions like preeclampsia uh yep. because I know it can it's got a a number of uh, symptoms and uh, manifestations so we usually target our um, our assessment towards finding um, problems.
1: Yeah that's right yeah. And she doesn't have a fever or a cough so we're not going to swab her for COVID. Um, <laughs> I guess the only point I'm trying to make is because we're obviously um, nowadays most of our time in our roles we don't have to assess and diagnose patients um, but um, previously I'm sure you had a bit of experience of that. I was just trying to um make the point that the condition we're going to talk about today uh is often um presents with just sort of vague symptoms and, and signs and it's and um it doesn't become apparent or sometimes the diagnosis isn't made for a little while because it's it's sort of a bit you know the the, the things that they present with are very similar to lots of other things. Mm. Um so, um, you know, they get a good thorough investigation by someone. Um usually um you know if someone's in the third trimester they'll have um, preeclampsia assessment, which involves you know checking their blood pressure and their reflexes and doing some blood tests and checking the urine for protein and things like that um, so
0: um, so sometimes we use the term preeclampsia bloods yeah that 's right
1: mm. <laughs> oh that 's a great idea mm. um, and let 's assume that um, on these blood although they do have um, uh, a little bit of um, Maybe be increasing their reflexes but their blood pressure is pretty good and they've only got a trace of protein so it's not a classic sort of terrible preeclampsia picture but um, we're going to present some bloods stew which are sort of fairly c- sort of realistic uh, in relation to someone with the syndrome we're about to talk about mm. so the hemoglobin 107 platelet count of 88 um, the AST and the ALT are raised and maybe the LDH as well and there's a slight raise in the bilirubin and then we were discussing this before not sure if you get it straight away, but often um, uh, if you ask for it, or some laboratory scientists, I'm sure would do this. Depending if they see that there's a thrombocytopenia, or some abnormalities, um, they've done a smear, or a smear, or a film, and they've seen some schistocytes. What are you thinking? Well, I'd apart from what you want to go and for lunch.
0: What I was thinking is, you know, <laughs> it, it's
1: hard to.
0: Uh, change the way you approach your work sometimes but I was thinking you know this patient could be presenting with anything it could be surgical, it could be medical, it could be associated yep. with their pregnancy so those um, those uh, conditions that uh, uh, can be elusive like appendicitis you know, yep. is this blood film or these blood tests potentially consistent with that diagnosis probably not, the white cell count would be important to know but I think the probably more likely diagnosis is, is something like HELP syndrome, yep. which is the topic of the talk.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, yeah, you're good. You're, you're being a very good doctor because you are thinking there are lots of other things. But presumably, let's just assume from the history and the examination, you know, they haven't got classic sort of tenderness like you expect with appendicitis mm. or, yeah. The problem appendicitis is that it yeah. um, presents so atypically. It does because the appendix is not in the same spot. It's mm. pushed... Um, can be pushed in lots of other funny you know, directions by the, the gravid uterus. But let's not go down a rabbit hole yeah, here. I'm so sorry that I even <laughs> mentioned it, but
0: it's only when I changed the way <laughs> yeah. I was thinking no, no. about the problem. Well, I think it's
1: an important point. We're probably hmm. making an important point to the listeners. It's actually, it's easy once you've diagnosed someone with HELP syndrome, but beforehand, sometimes it's a bit hard to know hmm. what's going on. And, and um, So HELP syndrome itself, we've, we've brought up the name now, um, has got three criteria isn't it? So yes. what are those three criteria? And the reason why it can be sometimes hard to diagnose is it doesn't always have all three of them. What, what does it stand so for? So the
0: um, H stands for hemolysis. Yep. The EL stands for elevated liver enzymes. Yep. And the LP for low platelets. Yep. So yeah. they're the three elements, hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. Yep. As part of H-E-L-L-P syndrome, HELP syndrome. Yeah.
1: And so the hypothetical case I just presented had all three of those, didn't, uh, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, so the elevated liver enzymes, so it's not the cholestatic enzymes, but the um, hepatic, hepatocellular enzymes, AST and ALT, were raised. And um, the bilirubin can go up a little bit because of the liver and but also hemolysis. Molysis, yes. Yeah. And obviously the platelet count goes down low platelets. And that, I think the, the, the platelet count is often the one that people focus on the most. But So sometimes they can have all of those fi- three findings or only one or two of them. And it's thought to be, what's the pathogenesis thought to be?
0: So it, it's thought to be um, a uh, manifestation of the preeclampsia spectrum of diseases.
1: Yeah, so the same pathogenesis. Yes. Um, but uh,
0: the particulars with regards to the uh, reasons for the three manifestations are to do with, um, uh, as I understand, microangiopathic hemolytic. Um, anemia yep. uh, processes whereby there is <coughs> thrombosis in small vessels yep. in multiple organs. There is uh, hemolysis as red blood cells pass through those obstructed blood vessels yep. as erythrocytes break down.
1: Yeah, so the vessels are really narrow and there's these sort of thromboses on the wall of them which um, damage the red cells as they go past. Yes. causing them to rupture. Yes,
0: and the platelets are consumed as part of the uh, microthrombosis yep. process, uh, hence the low platelet count. Yep. And the condition occurs within the liver blood vessels yep. and leads to the elevated liver enzymes probably from hepatocellular damage yes. and breakdown of uh, liver cells and, and release right. of those enzymes.
1: And the the triggering event is thought to be the same sort of... I mean, obviously this is not completely um, elucidated, but it's the same sort of process that occurs with preeclampsia. So there's something wrong with the formation of the blood vessels or the spiral arteries in in the placenta earlier on in pregnancy, and this manifests later on as um, placenta secreting all these vasoactive substances which are causing damage to the endothelium and activation of... um, microthrombotic things. hmm that's complicated. It is complicated. And... Um, yeah.
0: But I thought quite... Um,
1: so there is a lot of crossover. So, so um, this was originally um, described by some guy who we just googled, Louis Weinstein. Not sure if he's related to Harvey. Pretty sure he's not. Because <laughs> it was back in 1982. <laughs> Won't go down there. Um, he... He uh, he noticed it in um, some severe preeclampsia, and he was the first to describe it as an actual sort of separate um, entity. But um, some patients don't have classic preeclampsia findings, so you can get patients with HELP syndrome who don't have proteinuria or hypertension. You right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> well, it's because I'm because I'm being serious. Okay, right. Um, so, I'm going, to, I'm going to try and get you back on track, mate. Mm, mm. Now, so what is the differential diagnosis? So, I've, I've written down. I've it's just tried, uh, I've tried to. I've tried to think in my head. So, what's the differential diagnosis for thrombocytopenia first? Okay, so thrombocytopenia is a thing that people notice often notice of, yes. um, first on the blood on the blood testing. So,
0: so, so uh, causes of thrombocytopenia in the third trimester. Yep. Include <coughs> immune thrombocytopenia. Yep. Usually pregnancy.
1: They, usually, they know the. IT, ITP, um, yes. which is usually a sort of long-standing medical problem. Yep. yep.
0: Um, gestational thrombocytopenia. Yep. A um, consum- consumption process like DIC. Yep. Uh, and then other... Um, uh, well, artifactual. Ab- uh, artifactual yeah. um, results with clumping of platelets that can occur from time to time. Um, and then other microangiopathic, hemolytic um, yeah. processes.
1: So my understanding, I'll just uh, go back about the artifactual one. And my, I don't, I'm not a laboratory scientist, so hopefully I don't get this wrong, but my understanding is most full blood counts are done by a machine now and they just um, shoot the blood through the machine, which does automatically count all the different um, um, things that are in the blood count. And the machine has trouble getting ac- giving you an accurate platelet count if the platelets are clumping together so then it will give you an artificially low number or if platelets are above a certain size they don't recognise them as being platelets um, so yeah sometimes people can have a um, uh, automated machine generated platelet count which is low but then you can do a manual count or someone looks at it under a microscope and says ah, actually there's there's a normal number of platelets so they're, just, they're just a little bit big or they clump together Yes. Um, and then the LFTs there's he- heaps of things can cause your oh. LFTs to go up in pregnancy apart from HILP syndrome. Isn't there? Mm. Well, just in, in any human being. Yes.
0: I mean, uh, infective processes, yep. infiltrative processes, uh, yep. in, in uh, pregnancy itself, um, so polystasis think, yeah. of yeah. pregnancy yep. can occur. Um, and then there's the other causes of yeah so um, there's a whole heap of liver
1: disease raised. liver disorders yeah yeah liver disorders
0: with yeah. raised uh, liver enzymes
1: yeah uh, and then hemolysis i guess that's a bit unusual as well but there are other causes of hemolysis yes artificial heart valves
0: yes it's yes. quite common in the,
1: the trimester <laughs> <laughs> obviously not you see them every so often <laughs> we do actually we yeah, do. you're right um, um so yeah i guess just basically we're just making the point Keep an open mind, and in this day and age, we don't have to know all these things for differential diagnosis, do we? Because we can outsource our brain to to the electronic we world. Use
0: our accessory neocortex.
1: That's right. Yeah, we, <laughs> which is connected via Google. So yeah, you just go okay. What are the other differential diagnoses? And just you probably should just look them up mm-hmm. when you when you're trying to assess patients. That's what I do nowadays. I don't trust my own brain. No. Um. So the so we discussed that the severity had How um. So let's say you know um she does have help syndrome uh how is the severity assessed
0: so i um, mean the severity is assess can be assessed clinically and uh using um some of the results that you have so you can yeah. assess it based on platelet count
1: number <coughs> um
0: yep. and also the um, i think
1: there's one called the yeah the just holding on the platelet count called the mississippi classification which is based on the platelet count um, which i looked up the other day and uh they call it grade 1 as if the plate counts less than 50 uh, and that's or, or, or severe, if it's 50 to 100 it's grade 2 which is moderate which is what I think this woman is uh, and then 100 to 150 um, that can often be normal so you have to, if the plate counts a 100 to 150 you also have to have a raised AST for that to be considered relevant, but if you have that then that's considered mild or grade 3 according to that system
0: and then there's another system looking at the number of features of the HELP syndrome yeah that's right whether you've got one, one. of the manifestations two or th- three or all yeah. of the manifestations of <coughs> HELP syndrome
1: yeah and I agree completely with what you're saying as well as the, the clinical assessment so um, all those other features of severe preeclampsia which you may or may not have although a lot of them do have like um, you know if they've got really bad headache and they've got bad reflexes and mm really hypertensive then you know that's obviously really concerning as well isn't it Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a classification system that takes all that into account but with, if they have the features of severe preeclampsia, uh that would also be concerning um it's pretty good mm-hmm. so um now we're going to try and just mention the obstetric management we're not obstetricians but we'll just um you know this is generally how it's approached um uh, do you want to talk about that yeah
0: so uh HELP syndrome as a part of preeclampsia syndrome is considered a disease arising from the presence of a placenta. Yeah. So the means by which HELP syndrome will resolve resolve is delivery of the placenta. Yeah. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, preeclampsia or even HELP syndrome can manifest after delivery of the placenta. Yeah. Which can be confusing, but it's a very important point for women in the first six weeks to 12 weeks after delivery, that these uh, conditions are considered when they present with um, clinical or other findings that are um, Yeah, abnormal. consistent with, yeah, it's right. Yep.
1: So the treatment is basically, there's there's only one treatment really and that's delivery, is That's it? correct. Yeah, but you can um, try and manage the problem hmm. depending on um, what's happening in the mother. But So basically it's a balance of... Um, as, as all things in um, obstetric management, I think is maternal and fetal well-being has to be taken into account, but the maternal well-being is more important than the fetal well-being. Mm. Uh, what are the things, when I say that, I mean, um, you know, you want to avoid severe um, badness, if that's the correct medical terminology. Yes. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Straight from medical school, severe so, badness. Um, so, so I think the Maternal morbidity or, or mortality, like what are the things that if um, say this this woman was in a developing country where there's no access to medical care, where what could happen if untreated untreated help syndrome leading to death
0: so uh yeah the imp- the important things are um the the multi organ systems yeah. that um are affected by the condition, including the central nervous system um issues with cardiovascular. Uh, stability. Yep. Problems with liver function. Yeah. Problems with renal function. Problems with um, you know, fluid, fluid accumulation on the lungs. Yep. Um, I'm trying to put it into layman's terms. It's uh, yeah. a little like um, Homer Simpson at the doctors. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. Yep. Below like Homer Simpson. Yeah. Keep um, keep it um, so keep it simple. Yes. So, um, when, I think when I
0: say those things. Uh, Probably what I'd also mention is that there's often the sense of pressure to move forward to delivery depending upon the severity of the patient's conditions. Yep. But uh, it needs to be balanced by safety Yep. with respect to care for the woman and care for her fetus pending delivery yep. and having the resources available if necessary to care for uh, the neonate once the neonate's born.
1: Yeah, that's right. So... <clears throat> So the things that are taken into account are uh, the gestation of the baby or the fetus and the severity of the maternal um, condition, so how bad is the HELP syndrome. But um, the things you're trying to avoid is um, you know, uh, women have died uh, from things like intracerebral hemorrhages and yes. strokes, um, hepatic rupture. We haven't mentioned that yet, which is probably important, isn't mm. it? So <clears throat> yeah, I did mention the right upper quadrant abdo pain. So what happens is as the, uh, they get these microthrombi. Thromboses or microcirculation dysfunction in the liver that you can get um, necrosis and um, ischemia in the liver and you can get these hematomas form and the liver can um, rupture in the worst case scenario which obviously you can sort of die from hemorrhagic shock if your liver ruptures. So that's um, a classic story but it's a sad story of you know, that can you know, has happened in certain cases. So hepatic rupture is one of the things you're trying to avoid.
0: I think acute liver failure and can acute also Acute liver occur. failure,
1: yeah. Mm. Um, and then all the other things that can happen in severe preeclamptic syndromes, well, of which this is all part of, so such as a renal failure and pulmonary edema. With the, if the um, if you get uncontrolled hypertension and um, fluid overload, cardiac dysfunction. Mm. So all those things can obviously lead to <coughs> severe badness. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, eclampsia. Eclampsia? At, yes. Yes, yeah, I didn't mention Aspiration. Anything. Yep, uh, hypoxia associated
1: with that. Yeah, with um, yeah.
0: the eclampsia, and then yeah. these other um, manifestations of severe
1: hypoxia. So it sounds pretty bad. Mm. Um, but but sometimes they don't deliver the baby straight away, do they? Because if um, if the gestation is very uh, early, you know, say for example, the baby is only twenty four or twenty five weeks, and the mother is and the help syndrome is pretty mild, then they might want to wait, and try and improve the prognosis for the baby
0: yeah understand while the baby's well-being is uh, okay yep and the severity is not great the patient would usually be admitted watch very um, closely yep and uh, observe closely and uh, a time for delivery may be planned yep based on
1: and they like to give um, so. Steroid therapy for the fetal lungs. That's correct. And uh, magnesium, which in this condition, being a type of preeclampsic, might be for both the mother and the baby, I suppose. Yes. It's useful for them both as well. Mm. And then, (coughs) and so then obviously a delivery occurs. That can be, depending, that's a decision that's made based on the individual circumstances, but it can either be a caesarean or an induction of labour. Yes. Right, so finally we're getting to something that's probably more in our realm. Um, So if they do decide to deliver via caesarean, for example, what are some of the anaesthetic considerations? Or if they go into labour and the woman requires analgesia, what are the anaesthetic considerations that we have to uh, manage for help syndrome? This is a bit more up our alley.
0: Yeah, so um, one of the first things may be uh, decision about the form of anaesthetic for a cesarean, yep. general or central neuraxial, and the things which will uh, influence the thinking include the platelet count. Yep. Uh, there are some guidelines with respect to safety of placing central neuraxial, you know, spinal blocks or epidurals based on platelet count numbers. Yep. Uh, but it's not a um, completely defined area.
1: Yeah, it's something that we were talking about this before. Mm. So you know, so we're worried about um, if we if we cause a, a bit of bleeding if we had a, a small blood vessel like a vein or something in the epidural space, if that doesn't stop bleeding, then that can you know cause a large hematoma which can compress the neurological structures in the spinal in the spine, like the like the spinal cord, causing paralysis or severe irreversible nerve damage. Yes. Which is a disaster. But how often does that happen? It's really, really rare. It's not common, no. It's a rare event that um, is very hard to study, and so it's really almost impossible for us to sort of get some meaningful sort of like um, experimental data or anything like that on what the actual risk uh, is and or what is a safe platelet count. So basically our practice is um, based upon... Expert opinion, which is pretty good. I mean, that's about as good as it's ever going to get and for a rare event. Um, and it's there's some fairly sort of commonly used numbers that are agreed upon by obstetric anesthesiologists across the world, aren't they? Mm. So, that's a general rule of thumb. Yeah, so I'm, I'm,
0: I'm generally uh, okay placing epidural in a patient with a platelet count of 80 or above.
1: Yep, as long as all the other parts of hemostasis are Exactly.
0: Syndrome. I, I like to use viscoelastic uh, testing yep. of uh, <coughs> blood clotting in those patients to be reassured.
1: Yeah, that there's nothing else going on. on. Yes, yeah. um, and probably more generally, I think the advice is of doing a coag screen and if all that's okay, mm. all those aspects of um, hemostasis are normal, then then it's most people are okay with placing an epidural catheter for analgesia in those women.
0: Yes. It becomes uh, a little bit uh, less clear with respect to place the the lower limit of a platelet count for placing a, a subarachnoid or a spinal block. Yep. Um but there's
1: thought to be less risk with a single shot spinal, isn't there? Because yes. there's no catheter there's no long uh rigid plastic catheter that you've sort of wriggling wriggling up the neuraxium. Mm. So it's less likely to traumatise blood vessels and cause bleeding and Yes. So people will, will will still be willing to do a spinal with a lower a lower count. platelet count, and, and, and the the lower limit is somewhere above fifty. Yeah, it's it gets a bit grey, doesn't it? Mm. But then again, we have to. Often, when we're doing a spinal, we're doing it not for pain relief and labour. We're doing it in theatre. That's correct. And the the risks of a general anaesthetic in the woman with um, severe preeclampsia or HELP syndrome are, are much more um, uh, you know relevant. So we're trying to trying to avoid. Giving someone a hypertensive crisis, which causes a stroke or an intracerebral hemorrhage, we're trying to avoid a failed in intubation or intubation uh, in a brain non-fasted woman. Yeah, and aspiration. aspiration. We're trying to avoid hypoxic brain injury, mm. basically, yeah. um, or a, or a stroke. Yeah, just going so in. we might be. Yeah, we, we want to go back to you. Yeah, I do. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> I've jumped ahead too far. No, no,
0: no. What you said was absolutely correct, but I just wanted to go back in the clinical situation yep. where where you, you're faced with the uh, decision to. Mm-hmm proceed to cesarean in these women there's also a risk of surgical bleeding when a platelet counts 50 yes and so those patients will i hope have been discussed with a hematologist yep in my experience those patients usually have platelets made available for them where those resources exist yep and usually they'll be infused immediately prior to the operation The cesarean, which may also be at the time that the spinal is
1: placed. That's right. Yeah. So you're you're correct. So you often will give a bag, or sometimes two, Mm. of um, platelets. Then do the spinal. Then do the surgery because you need the platelet. You need enough platelets to have hemostasis from your surgical adventure. Yes. Uh, All right. Um, So so we've talked about that. Um, We started talking about the risks of general anesthesia and. in patients we mentioned most of them is there anything else we needed to Uh, we we talked
0: about the hypertensive um, crisis yeah so
1: hypertensive response to laryngoscopy when you intubate someone can cause you know someone's got a blood pressure of 180 that can suddenly be 260 systolic which if you've got a little um, weakness in one of the vessels in your head is enough to uh, cause some some catastrophic event And Um,
0: and in my experience help syndrome patients and it's not a great number but they do often present with hypertensive crisis.
1: Yeah, and there's definitely um, case reports in the literature, most of the, from from places like UK, which have these very um, great, you know, the CMAC reports, or CMACE, I think they're called now, where they, you know, there's lots of um, spattering of occasional cases throughout those reports over the years where... Someone has had a stroke after being intubated without managing the hypertension properly by an So mm. that's one of the things we definitely worry about.
0: Yeah. <coughs> um, so in those patients prior to coming to theatre, ideally I like them to have an arterial line placed. Yep. I like to have their uh, hypertension treated. Usually I treat it to a target. Yep. And I usually use the intravenous agency, the labetalol or hydralazine. Yeah. Uh, and the target I want is a blood pressure of less than one sixty systolic, and uh, between ninety and one hundred
1: diastolic. Yeah, and we use um. So so sometimes when we do GA cesareans, you know, we, we don't routinely give opioids as part of our induction because you know we don't want to flatten the the baby. But um, and these oh. sort of. Optund, optund the baby. <laughs> I'm using a lot of good, great medical jargon here on severe badness and yes. flatten. I'm, I'm thinking of flattening the curve. That's probably where it's going. Yeah, they've got yeah, yeah Anyway, we hard. don't want to cause respiratory depression in the fetus, but mm. in these women, we're trying to avoid um, the hypertense, uh, severe hypertension when we put a laryngoscope in and put a tube through the, through the airway. Um, so we will often use other drugs like leg magnesium, and generous doses of L-fentanyl or remifentanyl to obtund the hypertensive response to laryngoscopy. That's how it's written in the journals, isn't it? Absolutely. those fancy books. That is absolutely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So those are all the things we're thinking about uh, so that we don't cause a stroke in our patient as we put them off to sleep. And it's much more common to have to do a GA in someone with help syndrome, isn't it? Because it's not that uncommon you have someone with platelets of 20 or something. Exactly. So these are the patients who do end up with a GA seizure.
0: Um, I mean, these patients do need to be carefully considered with respect to their cardiac function. Yep. Uh, fluid management becomes very important. Um, the, the way in which we administer our drugs as diluted becomes very yeah, important
1: right. as well. <coughs> so we also have a role, you know, we obviously have a role of managing all the other organ dysfunction that's occurring, you know, mm. as an estus, Yeah, you know, both in immediately before and during and after when they end up in the HDU. Um so, yeah, avoiding a pulmonary edema, which is a which can occur in severe preeclamptic syndromes, is important, and um, and certainly that you can get cardiac problems too. You know, you can get left you know temporary or uh, left ventricular dysfunction. Things even things like takasubo and that sort of sort of thing, especially if the heart's struggling against a very high blood pressure. Yes. Um, so we've got to be careful about uh, ergometrin. Exactly. Uh, so we've got to yeah th- you know, treat them like. Um, Eclimptics. Um so managing the bleeding uh, during delivery as well. So that's the other thing we we usually have to manage. So uterine tone. So there's certain drugs that we have we can't give, obviously ergometrine, and then on top of that, obviously um, they, are, they are a bit more predisposed to bleeding with the low platelet count. Mm-hmm. Although having said that, my personal experience is that um, usually hemostasis isn't too bad, um, even in women who've had platelet counts in the twenties. You know, often I've in the cases I've been involved in, the hemostasis has been okay. Yes. Yeah, you know, only bleed two or 300 mils sometimes, so it's certainly not catastrophic. Yeah, the platelets still work. Yeah. Just, not not, but not long, too many of them. As long as the rest of the hemostasis um, sy- system is normal, mm. and, or often even because they're pregnant, you know, the high and that sort of thing, it's often not okay. Uh, but not always, so obviously you've got to make sure you're in a – in a hospital that has ready access to lots of blood products, especially platelets, which are not easy to supply, are they? No, no. So platelets are one of the hardest um, of the blood products for, for our blood service to supply because they have such a short half life. Yes, and they have a that's you know, hard for them to keep the keep the viability. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And so we don't we don't store platelets on site here. No, they're, they're required. They're moved from our central blood transfusion service in the city. Yep. And usually take at least three-quarters of an hour yeah, to right. become available yeah. for patients.
1: And I think, yeah, you know, obviously um, there's only a couple of hospitals here in WA anyway that have on-site platelets 24 hours, 24-7. Mm. Um, and it's even obviously more tr- uh, tricky for um, people working in uh, peripheral hospitals or in the rural or regional centres where yes. they have to come via RFDS usually mm. um, if someone's bleeding and needs platelet um, transfusion. Well... Um, did you hear about the woman the other day who was causing a, who was yelling and screaming causing a big scene in the IVF clinic? No. no apparently it wasn't anything important it was just an ovary reaction. <laughs> okay, on that note <laughs> so hey, is there Roger, anything else? Roger, I was sitting in my... Li- I was oh, in hang my, on, hang on, yeah. hang on.
0: <laughs> I was in my library this morning and a book fell on my head. only had my shelf to blame. (laughs)
1: All right. Um, So I did get some other feedback that, um, this was was quite a while ago, that the um, the quizzes we used to run were were quite entertaining. So I am going to try and run a quiz this week. We're going to have a a photo of a chap. And uh, we're going to reinstate as a doctor or um, serial killer. So (laughs) I'm going to put this picture up. Apparently, someone told me you can uh, reverse search images, so I'm gonna, maybe I'll try and do something to it. So that it's not completely easy <laughs> to reverse search it, but somebody out there might cheat. Um, anyway, yeah, write it. if anyone writes, in, usually there's only about two people who have written into me or emailed me in the past: It's Sneha and Pete Garnett. But um, I'm sure they're, they're, they'll send they'll, they'll send me some news. Um, so let us know if you yeah if you think there's a serial killer or a doctor, uh, and then if you know then. The name of the individual and what they got up to in their life, um, that would be like a bonus point, I suppose. <laughs> well, thanks again, Graham. Have we got any what are Was there anything else
0: we needed to talk about? I mean, probably. The, I the, just jumped in. I with mean, the, the, joke. Inc- the interesting thing is, like, there are certain cases that stand out in my mind, and uh, you know, will never be forgotten of patients with severe help syndrome. Yeah, there. There I remember a woman presenting with severe ascites. Right. as a manifestation of a preeclampsia it's
1: from severe liver dysfunction or
0: uh, i think it was transudate from her severe high hy- combination of a severe hypertension low diastolic alp- low dysfunction albumin. low albumin and liver dysfunction is that,
1: is that back in the day when you could um, ultrasound hearts and ivcs and things uh, really nice to see what an ivc looked like
0: exactly but i know that other colleagues have told me of very very similar experiences uh in, in that particular patient, I was very concerned she might have liver failure. and, yeah. and, and, and But just attending to those small things like checking her glucose, that was reassuring, uh, and she made a, a good recovery.
1: Yeah. Well, there's one thing we didn't talk about. So the differential diagnosis for, for microangiopathic hemolytic anemias. Oh, that gets a bit Mahas. tricky. Mahas. Yeah, Mahas. Yeah. So, so there are some other conditions which are very similar, um, TTP... Yeah, which is thrombocytopenic thrombotic purpura. Yes, and um, hemolytic uremic syndrome. Both of those are sort of um, can exacerbated or triggered by pregnancy, and they uh, there are case reports, and it's, it's mentioned regularly in um, the CMAC reports as well that people miss those conditions. Yes, uh, and uh, women um, die, can die from them because they are very similar to help syndrome in that um, this. Thrombosis in the microvasculature, and they end up with a plate uh, thrombocytopenia or low platelet count, and hemolysis. But the trigger is not the placenta. So basically, you know, they don't get better when you deliver the baby. They have autoimmune uh, triggers usually, or um, uh, autoantibodies those against yeah. something called Adam's Adamts13, yeah. and uh, and or complement if it's hemo- atypical typical hemolytic syndrome. So those are obscure things to keep in the back of your mind. We won't talk about them at the moment because it's that's another rabbit hole which would take mm. us another half an hour to talk about. But, but but we have had patients. Yeah, we have had we had a, a case of someone who had atypical typical hemo- mm. syndrome in the last twelve months. Mm. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind that, that um, there are some other conditions out there as well. So it's always good to get advice and and make sure you don't completely close off your mind to other uh, diagnoses.
0: All right, and it's off, it's difficult in the in the setting of a syndromal presentation to be able to tease out. Exactly what the cause is when uh, we pursue management, which includes um, emergent delivery, yeah. either by cesarean or um, vaginal delivery. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <coughs> but I imagine the treatment of these other conditions involves um, delivery as well. It's just they don't get better afterwards, and yes. then you have to do some more uh, extensive Con- testing. But and continue the, but,
0: to um, care for them appropriately. Yeah, but the
1: treatment for some of the other conditions includes um, stuff which which is uh, like. Plasma and plasma exchange and stuff. So that's quite, quite different to what would normally, um, you know, be used for help syndrome.
0: Biological, immunologically. Yeah, and immunological treatments. Treatments, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, that's when you need to get lots of other clever people to, to um, help you, mm. help you in your management. All right, we'll wind it up there. I'm sure I'll, uh, I've got another. I've got a list of other conditions that uh, Graham and I were going to try and work on in the future. And we did put a lot like, of a. Um, A little survey on the website, didn't we? Yes. uh, I looked up... I did look up um, methamphetamines in pregnancy. and I I haven't found any sort of really useful references because I wouldn't say that we're an expert. We were just going to read up on it and discuss it. Mm. Uh, But I will go back and have a look at that survey and see if there's any other burning topics that people want to discuss.
0: Yeah, I've got an N equals one... Well, no, actually we care for a lot of patients who've used methamphetamine during their pregnancy.
1: Yeah, I've got quite a few... Anecdotal mm. cases in my head that, are, uh, that I that I will never forget, but yes. that doesn't mean I'm an expert in <laughs> no. amphetamine use and pregnancy no. All right, maybe we should find someone who is. I don't know if there is anyone mm. specifically. It's such a, a cover, it crosses over so many different areas, isn't it? Psychiatry, drug abuse, obstetrics, anesthesia, critical care. Exactly. All right, and we'll leave it there. Thanks again, Graham. My pleasure. Thanks, Cheers. Roger. listening everyone please go to the itunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it write a review this will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the itunes menu if you're also interested please go to our website at www.obsandguinycritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to see you again next time